Well, if you give a party, don't lock the doors. Turn out all the lights. Cause if you don't let my boys inside, it's going to be a fight. Well, we started out this morning. We're going to rack some heads. Some names know that to call the heat. And now we're laying dead. Well, if you give a party, don't lock the doors. Turn out all the lights. Cause if you don't let my boys inside, it's going to be a fight. Welcome to a very special episode of Crashing the Party. The first hour is the usual nonsense with Mark and me, and the second hour is the first part of our conversation with legendary record collector Val Shively. And Miriam? Yes? This time, you get the first dance. (laughs) Okay, come on, let's go. Can, can, rock and roll! Could have dug me and my little bandit ways. They would have hung up their guns 
made it to their graves Cause I'm a love bandit I used to jump on my white horse Cadillac and ride across the borderline. I'd rope 55 girls and kiss them all at the same time. I'd take 35 or 40 and load them all on a freight. That was a million dollar reward for me in each and every state. The sheriff says, your name Love Bandit Jones, and I said in a very deep voice, Yes, brother chef, and that's your chick on the back of my horse, cause I'm a little bandit. Matt Dillon and Cheyenne had seen me coming, they'd all ran. They say I'm the baddest bandit they ever saw. I'd steal a girl for any of them to throw. With the chick in my arms, I'd make my flight. In 15 seconds, brother, I'm out of sight. And if you want your girl, keep her by your side. Cause if she flags my horse Cadillac, I'll sure let her ride. Cause I'm a little bandit. He gave me one 
to a vocal group harmony. Yes, we had Lafettes and Kitty with La what? Lafettes and Kitty uh, with the Sax Carry Band on Can Can Rock and Roll on Apollo. Followed by the Cadets, of course. Love Bandit. Big favorite for all concerned. Yes, on Modern. Then we followed that up with the blends and that was now it's your turn and that was on the casa grand label yes that's an intriguing label by all counts (laughs) difficult to read and we rounded things up with the incredible tabbies on time yes who would have known my darling, on time. One of my, oh, it's going to be in my all-timers. That's for darn sure. With a label so off-center, you get dizzy watching it go around and yeah, around. Yeah, I guess that's a lesson. Stop doing that. All right. <laughs> so, onward with your set, Mark. Okay. It was a night like this. Many Love came to me that day in the strangest way. Oh, it was 
oh so nice so nice to feel that way and i'll never forget that wonderful day, that wonderful day. i don't know why i feel this way
Bomb, bomb, sick of white Cody Cole. Bomb, bomb, sick of white Cody Cole. Bomb, bomb, sick of white Cody Symbols and an unreleased cut from Old Town. And before that, we heard the Barons and Boom Boom on Imperial from 1955, and they were from Tacoma, Washington. And the Continental Five did My Lonely Friend on Miriam's favorite New Cat label. One of the best labels in the world. See there? Yep. And the Hepsters did This Away. And that it was on the Ronell or Ronald, Ronell, I guess, label from Cleveland. Oh, I didn't realize. There that. you go. See. See. <laughs> and the Turban started that set with uh, "It Was a Night Like This" on Herald. Well, yes. that was quite a set. Thank you very much. All right. Well, we're going to uh, give a listen to. Del Vikings track that you may not have heard that's on a fan club release. And the Del Vikings were the first doo-wop group that I remember ever hearing. There I go.
this way I need you oh so much Won't you come back and stay The Satin Toads. Oh, yeah, the Detroit sound. Unbeatable, and that's a very early Motown single. Sorry for the bad condition on that, but it's a tough one to find. So I hope you think that uh, cracks and pops are actually a plus. So (laughs) before that... No extra charge. No extra charge. Before that, we had the Echoes on Deluxe. Please come back. Probably the earliest production from Skip Batten. And uh, really, it's a it's a Kim Fowley record all the way, as you can tell. If it's great, it's Kim Fowley. <laughs> Anybody are gonna argue with that? They can come right over, and um, that will be quite a wrestling match. Okay, and we started off with the Dove Vikings. There I go on a hap. Uh, it's a great, great record. Uh, it's a hap fan club release. Oh, yeah, on half. But uh, it's not something that you hear every day. And Del Vikings, great, great group, uh, interracial, <laughs> uh, you know, group that uh, made such an impact on so many people early on. Uh, the great vocal group stuff and uh, made it very big in the Midwest, for one. I'm sure all around the country. But uh, Pittsburgh certainly held them close to their hearts. Okay, so we're going to go on to another set with Mark. Will the top top boom boom ooh you so so 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 boom boom boom. Oh, diamonds on a finger, shiny little nose. She reminds me of a pretty rose. That's my chop chop. I love her so. Oh yeah. Well, my dear, my dear, I. I love you, I'll put no one above you You're my chop chop, I love you so oh, oh. Want you pretty baby, want you by my side yeah, 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 yeah. I need you pretty baby, Ooh, baby Cause I love you, I love you, oh so so Oh boy, oh boy, she's so sweet to me She's the way all girls out to me That's the chop chop, I love you so Oh yeah, hey Oh, she reminds me of a pretty rose. Oh, that's a 
I know you're mine When I see your smiling face Oh, how I love this place And when I hold your hand That's when I understand This is the way I want it Just you and me This is the way I want it Just you, you and me When I see you come my way Each and every day I know that you're the one That makes me feel this way Yeah, the Native Boys and Laughing Love on Combo from 1956. And before that, we heard the Sunbeams on Herald, Come Back Baby, and they were from that hotbed of Duoptum, Glen Cove, Long Island. And before that, we heard the Kingsmen and Kicking With My Stallion, which I have a feeling is not entirely about horses. But I can't prove it. And that was on Club 51. And before that, we heard The Pretenders and Part-Time Sweethearts, which was recorded on February 1st, 1957, and released the next month on Whirl and Disc. And we started that set with The Chimes and Chop Chop on Specialty. And now the lovely and talented Miriam will play some spectacular stacks of wax. Well, Mark, you had asked earlier uh, what uh, Jay Hawk's record had a phone ringing on it, and we went right to the source of all information. <laughs> no, the Jayhawks fan club, East Coast Division. Yeah, Val Shively, and he has just responded here. He says, counting my teardrops right when the recitation starts. Thank you, Val. We can count on you for information such as this and other important things in the world of vocal group ma'am. Thank you, Val Shively. Remember, when you're in Philadelphia, head over to Val's Rhythm and Blues Records. Four million forty-fives await you there. Yes, and lots of vicious cats. Very, very vicious cats. Are you ready for a side from me, mister? Maybe yes, maybe no, maybe yes. Did you have fun being untrue? Did you have fun in making me feel blue? Maybe yes, oh and maybe. Did you have fun 
making me cry Did you ever My, my, my Maybe yes Oh, and maybe Maybe yes, maybe no Maybe yes The love I had for you is all ran down the drain. I loved you, thought you loved me too, but I found out it was just another game. Did you have fun? Telling me lies Didn't you ever think That I was bound to get wise Maybe yes Oh and maybe Maybe yes Maybe no Maybe yes Maybe no Maybe yes Tell me, why did you leave me? You know I love you so. Tell me, why did you leave me? You know I love you so. Tell me, why did you leave me? You know I love you so.
The Swan Song Parrot, I Love You So, another one of the Birds on the Bird label there for Mark, as you said. <laughs> for uh, me? <laughs> yeah, just for you. So look, um, the ballads, the weepers, the slow songs, uh, that's, um, that's what vocal group harmony it means to me. We started off with the, the king of the ballads, really, West Coast guy, Vernon Green have an autographed copy of Did You Have Fun here on Dutong. Uh, we got to see him at a UGHA show many, many years ago. Uh, he was in a wheelchair, just came rolling out on the stage and just took over. It was, uh, it was just a 
awesome moment. He sound he sound well in a wheelchair. He sounded great. Wow, I didn't know. He really did. Oh, he really, really did, and uh, everyone was just beside themselves. And he was so great afterward, meeting and greeting and stuff like that. It's really something. Okay, well, we followed that up with uh, another great one, The Dukes, Tell Me Why, on Imperial, uh, with as really subtle, incredible gasps, like, you know, that are just completely spontaneous. If those are thought out, the man is a genius. <laughs> but uh, they're, just, uh, they're, they're just simply what makes it with these songs is the, the delivery, the sincerity, and the... Uh, universal appeal. Uh, we also heard the Cubans. Uh, you've been gone so long on Flash, you know, the Flash label again, another one of the great West Coast uh, labels that really did not issue a single bad side. And uh, you can see, <laughs> you can see on every one of those records that doesn't matter whether you're playing the A side, the B side, or which record you're playing in the catalog, you're going to get the unbeatable and inimitable West Coast sound. So we're so thrilled to be able to play that for you. And now part one of our conversation with the amazing, legendary, superphonic, wanted in all parts of the world and especially in his fair city of Philadelphia, record collector extraordinaire, record purveyor to the stars and other people, Val Shively. We're here today with the man, the legend, yeah. the it, it Statue mine, of maybe. Liberty. <laughs> Statue of Liberty? Yes, really? Mr. Val Shively. You got the wrong city. The Liberty Bell, maybe, but not the Statue okay. of Liberty. I'm in Philadelphia. One of the legendary doo-wop record collectors and uh, dealers in the entire world. Every, every doo-wop record collector knows Val Shively's name, has probably bought from him or visited his store or right. has the dreamt same ones about his collection or something anymore. like that. <laughs> okay. The ones that used to. I'm glad you said used to. Oh. Yeah. We're going to turn it into a parking lot. Um, anyway, <laughs> hello, hello. Good to be with everyone today. Nice should, to see this you. This should be all. fun. This should be fun. Yeah. yeah, we're going to take we're going to take Val all the way back to when he was just a wee tyke mm-hmm. and got turned on to the records and so on, and then take him through some of his adventures in becoming a collector and a fanatic and That's a purveyor cool. of the finest vocal group records in the world. Okay, well, let's start out with this. This has got nothing to do with records. The situation with my dad was um, he would he would come home on Friday nights, get in the car, and go down the shore. And he, the shore is the ocean, the beach, whatever. And um, he would disappear till Sunday night. And, you know, where's dad? He's fishing. And fishing, what, what's, you know, he loves to fish, and that was his life. You know, it wasn't having a family. It wasn't even working. It was just to be able to go down the shore and go fishing. And I never, you know, that was his thing, and, you know, I dealt with it. But, you know, it was like, so my mother raised my brother and I. I have a brother, younger. So, anyway, it's going to come back to that. Here's what happened. So, so uh, let me just say this. Years later, maybe when the Internet came in, and all this crap, which I never really understood and still don't. Um, a customer of mine 
called me up from Wilmington one day and he said, hey, Val, I just got a computer. And uh, I said, yeah, well, why are you telling me? He goes, because I went on, I Googled you or I put something, I, I, I punched in your name, whatever they do. And this, it's really ridiculous. Somebody's selling a picture of you um, in Canada online. You know, it's an auction and it's some goofball with a fish. Now, see, I'm a junior. My father was Val Shively senior so you know so i have the same name so uh i dropped junior when he died he died in 74 so he says it's it's stupid it's it's a picture of you with a fish i i, I said get me that picture buy that whatever it costs me get me that i want to see it so this is you know long after my dad died so he wins the picture for ten dollars twelve dollars it came out of a newspaper in cape may new jersey which is where my dad was born and it said this, and I, I put it up on my website because it's yeah, real important. It. Oh, you saw it. Yeah. This is what it says. 12-year-old kid catches a 200-pound shark, uh, you know, off of, you know, and, and here's, what, here's what this 12 years old, and he, what happened was he was fishing at this dock a week before, and whatever he caught broke the line. So he cut school for the whole week, sat there fishing, and he finally landed this, and it's a picture of him with the mayor or the governor or some shit, uh, with, with a big shark in a wooden wagon. And I go, wow, I never knew this. No wonder my my father was so obsessed with this. You know, that's why he, you know you catch a two hundred pound shark when you're twelve years old. You know, and I guess he was always looking for a two hundred fifty pound shark. Who knows? But he was that was his whole life. And you know what? He never ever you know told me that. I just went away. I mean, my my father. He you know I was in. So here's what happened. I got into this music thing when I was 12 years old. I had records before that. I had children's records. I loved the Lone Ranger. I wanted to be a cowboy like everybody else of that age. And then I got into novelty records a little bit. Stan Freeberg, uh, St. George and the Dragon Net, and, you know, weirdo things like what kids would do when they were young. So, and then I, I guess the first pop record I bought was Green Door by Jim Lowe on Dot. And so, I knew, I watched, I looked at publishing. I just, I love that label. Uh, you know, I used to look at it while it played and all. And it, was, it wasn't just the music, it was the label and it was the whole thing that, wow, this is neat. So then I heard a record that came out, I guess around the same time. My next purchase was, and the most important purchase was Don't Be Cruel by Elvis. And that record absolutely blew my mind. That was the greatest thing. I didn't know who Elvis was, uh, you know, before that. I don't remember Heartbreak Hotel. I don't remember anything before that. But, that record, oh my God, I just listened to it for hours and hours and hours, and that set the course. So then in 1956, at Christmas, I got a record player. I guess, no, I had a record player, but I got, I asked for records for Christmas, and this is what I remember getting. I got Singing the Blues by Guy Mitchell. I got Just Walking in the Rain by Johnny Ray. I got Blueberry Hill by Fats Domino. I got uh, I Feel You Like This, I Feel Good by Shirley and Lee, which is... <laughs> Very cool, but I don't know. I must have heard it on the pop station I listened to. So that's the beginning of me getting into music. And then I got a transistor. That was Christmas. And then for for uh, my birthday, which is two weeks after my after Christmas, um, I got a transistor radio, and that changed my life. Now I could take this thing with me. Now I can listen to music at night instead of sleeping. And um, I found a book that was real thick 
called The Life and Adventures of Samuel Johnson, whoever the frig he was. But it was nice, thick book. So I took, a, I took a razor blade and I cut the center out of the thing and I made the radio fit into that book. And I took nails and I punched holes in the cover like a Whoa. speaker. And then I put a book cover over it like everybody else from a brown trash, uh, you know, paper bag from a, the Acme or something. Uh, so anyway, that was my book that went with me everywhere. And that was because I was listening to music. I didn't give a shit about school. And so I had a lot of trouble getting through school, but the music definitely helped me. And so I was on a course. I got a paper route and, uh, you know, I made $10 a week. But you know what? The best part about the paper route, and I never wanted to give it up, was the people. I loved, most people hated collecting. I love collecting. And not to make the money, but I, everybody had a story. And I learned about good people, bad people, um, you know, early on in life. Everybody should have, every, I guess today they all go to, they work at McDonald's. But when I was a kid, a paper route was such an important thing to have because you got to need, a, you, you got to learn about money and you got to learn about people. And I had a very good arm. I could throw, I could, I, I had a small route, but it was like 60 papers and I would just walk down the middle of the street and lob them. And, uh, you know, they'd go right on the top step. I was very good at curveball. That should have been a pitcher, <laughs> but I weighed about 60 pounds. That wouldn't have worked. So, um, anyway, uh, so I used the money to buy records and, you know, and then in 1959, I decided uh, for I got a Christmas for Christmas. I, I spent all I had was records. I had probably a thousand records. I had all the pop records of the day. Did I have group records? Of course. I had things like get a job, anything that crossed over that was big, you know, pop wise that I would have them, you know, so. So there were plenty of records in there, Little Star and all the all the, the big hits. I had those, but I didn't know one from the. I didn't think there was anything different about that than Do You Want to Dance by Bobby Freeman or you know any of the other. They were all great records. So in 1959, I got I, I realized you know what all I'm doing is spending buying records. I have no. By the way, I forgot to tell you, I have no life. I didn't have a girlfriend. I had no. My <laughs> friends all went out on dates. I was at home playing records. Uh, you know all this kind of crap and 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 having struggling at school. Um. But, uh, and I, the records was my savior in a sense. So, um, let's see. So, 59, I got a tape recorder and I decided, you know what? Maybe this is stupid. I'm going to tape these records. I was buying them for five for a buck at, uh, at jukebox places that near where I lived. You know, they had, they were vending places that had, once the record came off the jukebox, I would just, um, you know, they would have all the hits, everything, you know, five for a buck, used records, which were like brand new. It's the records, jukebox didn't kill them then. I probably don't, any, well, there's no, forget it, they don't even exist anymore. So um, anyway, I figured, let me just tape them. It's probably better and all this. So I spent a year of my life taping and trying to get records without the guy talking into them and all this kind of crap. And then, uh, you know, after a year of that, I said, this was the dumbest thing I ever did. But one good thing happened. One good thing happened was I found out, I started fooling around with the dial and I went down into the right side of the radio, which was all black. You know, these were black record, uh, black radio stations in Philadelphia. There were two, WHAT and WDAS. And when I hit those stations, they were playing, you know, they, would, they, were, they weren't all black records, mostly black, but um, I really, I, I, I heard things on there that, that were I heard way before they I still listen to pop radio too but I found that, that you know they were playing them way early like I remember Image of a Girl I heard on black radio before I ever heard it on a white radio by the Safaris and um, you know I didn't you know but I, I listen I, I hear Etta James I hear uh, Baby Washington I'm hearing all kinds of 
interesting records that uh, I thought were great. Jackie and the Starlights. Oh, now, yeah. Jackie and the Starlights, I had Valerie. Now, you know why I had Valerie? This is sick. Because I saw an article in the paper one day that said that these guys murdered somebody. Rock and roll group killed, you know, it's two guys sentenced to murder for murder or something or whatever. And I go, what the hell's this? I read it and it's a New York group called the Starlights. That's what it said. And the two guys were convicted of murder or whatever. And I go, wait a minute. I've seen Rick. I've seen this. So, um... I, I go to the, my place, five for a buck, and what do I find? Valerie, the Starlights. I said, wow, this must be, it said Valerie in the article, this must be the group. So I, I bought it, never hearing it, never know what it was, but I played to all my friends. I said, come here, I had a, and I said, no, hold on guys, listen to this. I want you to hear what murderers sound like. This is, this is friggin' murderers out of New York. And I play Valerie. And so that was the beginning of, that's how I got Valerie, because of that article. by the starlights there was no listing of jackie on that record um the other side it was a very good record too called way up in the sky sure is so anyway so while i got the black radio on guess what guess who's on jackie and the starlights are being interviewed on a saturday night because they were just here at the uptown theater and they're all they got a brand new record out and blah, 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 blah. i said holy mackerel i thought they were in jail well obviously they got different guys now so uh anyway uh so I'm into black. I'm listening to black as much, if not more, than white radio, and I like it. And uh, you know, I'm buying things like I, I always bought black too, but I didn't. I never saw color. But 
Now I my I graduated high school in '61, and my mother is insisting on me going to college. I said, "Mom, mom, mom, I couldn't even get out of high school. I'm lucky I got out of high school. What do you and what do you want to use for money to get me in? You know, this is stupid. Now you got to do something. You gotta, yeah. So the only class I ever did good in in school was bookkeeping, and I'm only because oh, I forgot to tell you something real important. My mother put me in first grade when I was five years old. That should have been kindergarten. So I was out of sync. I was younger than everybody else for the whole 12 years. The worst thing that ever happened to me. I hated school because I was immature. I was skinny. I didn't like, I was way over my head with with the people in there. And boys are worse than girls when it comes to that shit. And, and so... My whole, you know, people used to say, well, you're going to love your school years. I hated my school years. I hated them. And, you know, I will always hate them. I hate it. So, so it was like a prison sentence. So anyway, my, that I did good. Well, I elected my senior year to have bookkeeping for, for some reason. I don't know why. And I had like A's in it uh, only because I was in with 10th graders. And now I'm the oldest in there. And for some reason, you know, it came easy to me. I liked it. So that was my mother thought well, he's going to be an accountant. or I don't think that word existed. He's going to be a bookkeeper. So anyway, that's what my first job was. I got a job because of my mother's girlfriend had a, a, knew some kid that w- lived nearby who hung in a place called Rako Auto Sea Covers and they needed an, a bookkeeper. So I became... After school, I would go and work there, and that was an adventure. Very fun place, crazy place. Now, um, and then I would, records, records, records. But here's what happened. So I went to business school. I went to a a place called Pierce Business School, which is now a junior college, but I remember it as a business school. It's a two-year course, and guess what? All of a sudden, I loved this place. This was fun. These were all people that couldn't get into college. They're all like my kind of people. They were all like, I guess I'd say losers. Um, but, you know, it was interesting. I just, I really like, loved this place. The other place was all clicks and, you know, who you knew and all this crap and good looking people and all this stuff. This was like a joke. So, but I loved it. It was fun. And I would cut, no, so anyway, I met this kid in class and he knew I liked records. I liked music. And so he goes, you ever hear this guy? He, this is in typing. He's typing and he comes over to me and, you know, we had typing. Who types? So he says, do you ever listen to, you like old records? I said, yeah, how do you know? I said, I heard you or something. So his name was Bobby Bentliff. And Bobby um, said, first of all, he sang in a group, Miriam liked this. Right. He sang in the Lightations. The, the Oh, the, the litations, you know, the litations, <laughs> the and they, they, right. So, so here's what happened. He um, tells me about this guy that's on the radio on 12. I don't even know the thing anymore. But anyway, it was WCAM in Camden, you know, on an AM station. Uh, why don't you? I said never heard of him. He goes, listen to him. I think you'll like it. So I, I tuned in. I finally got him because it, it, you pay by the hour, and it was Spanish things on there and all kinds of different ethnic things but then here comes this guy blabbit this the the frequency was horrible couldn't hear it it's like uh it sounded like the toaster or something well, you know it was but but what i heard him play now here's remember i've been into this since i was 12 all of a sudden i hear what the frig is that whoa 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 whoa, whoa. what it, you know and it's listen i'm listening to it. it's all group records and it's things like uh please say you want me to school boys I'm so young. The students, uh, Desiree by the charts, yes. uh, the channels, uh, 
you know, the closer you are, the paragons and the gesture stuff. Yeah. It's like, where did this come from? What is this stuff? How come I never heard these records? This is unbelievable. They're all New York records. And so I start listening to this guy every night and I'm trying, I'm writing them down and I can't even hear him and he's not even telling you who they are. Or, you know, he's saying all the wrong titles because this is what they did, like your Mad Mike in Pittsburgh. They <laughs> give you the wrong titles so you can't find the record so you listen to the show. You know, it's all crazy shit. So anyway, this stuff, I just, I went nuts. I was 18 years old. And I went crazy. And the sponsor of this show was the Record Museum in Philadelphia, which was an offshoot of Times Square Records. It was it's, it, it was two New Yorkers that came down here. One of them was Jerry Green. The other was Jared Weinstein. Jerry Green started at Times Square Records when he was a kid, real young. And he's got a great story about, you know, how it all happened. And, you know, he was just a kid that came into, you know, Slim sold, Slim was the owner of Times Square Records and he sold costume jewelry and porn magazines and all this kind of crap. That was his game, anything to make a buck. And he had records, 10 for a buck or something. And they would always go in there, Al Tromers and all these guys that were into this music would go in there and, and see him and buy his records and tell him, get, get more of these records. These are great. And he goes, you know, why should, you know, I don't even know what to buy. And so Jerry would say, I'll go with you. I'll show you what to buy, buy, buy groups, buy things that end in S. So, um, <laughs> Any, anyway um okay so i don't even know where i am so oh okay so anyway one day so that was the sponsor of blabbit the record museum i it was in center city in philly and so um you know i i knew that i wasn't going to go there i had no money had no money but i liked this stuff so i started cutting class and i would write down these things and i found desiree you know for 50 cents someplace at one of the i went to all these record shops all over the city mostly um, you know, thrift shops. Not well. Look back in nineteen in sixty two, uh, because I have this theory, which is when those oldies but goodies by Little Caesar and Romans came out in sixty one. That gave the uh, retail stores a name, which it was already there because of the original sound LPs that were coming out called uh, you know uh, oldies but goodies or whatever. But all of a sudden, this was an excuse where they could take these shit records that didn't mean anything, put them in, put them on counters, ten for a buck, and and maybe generate some business. So look, John's bargain stores were big in Philly. They were eight cents a piece. You know, W. T. Grants, they were ten cents. You know, all these places that I used to go, Gimbal's eight cents. I mean, and and I start looking for group records, and. I have a friend of mine that was into this with me who went to school with me. His name was Bob Campbell. So the two of us loved this. We were loners. We were just, we cared about music and nothing else. So Bob and I used to go all over looking. I told him about Blavitt. He would listen. He was a little older than me. So one day on a Saturday, we needed sleeves, record sleeves. And some, one of us got in the phone book and saw that there was a place called Disc Makers. It was a pressing plant down in south philadelphia and we decided we called up or i called up and the guy says yeah we have sleeves i said can we buy a couple hundred about yes were you open saturday well yeah half a day or whatever yeah we yes so we ended up here's what happens we ended up walking we went into town and then we were going to walk down a street and just you know walk to this place you know which is maybe i'm going to guess 10 10 blocks and we're walking down the street and I look to the left, and I'm, it's all stores and all, and I see this sign in a store window that says, Records Three for a Dollar. 
And so I said, Bob, look over there. What do you see? He goes, nothing. I said, look a little closer. Look at that. You know, and he looks and he goes, and he, he sees the sign and he takes off. He starts running. So he runs in the store before me and there were three rows of records and he's already through the first row. I'm pissed because you know what? I'm the one that saw it and you're like, what do you, you know? So here's what I did. I, you know, I went over and I said, you know what? You might be quicker but you ain't going to see more than me. I took half of the second row and put it on top of the third row, and I said, these are mine to look at first. You know, <laughs> that was just like fair, right? Fair, Right. I mean, you know, he knew more than I did. So here's what happens. So I'm going through these records, and Bob, next to me, sees me, and he's watching me when I'm looking at it, and, he, and this one record, uh, you know, he says to me, if you don't want that, I want that. And I said, you know... And I didn't have another record to get, but I was still mad at him because he did the way he acted. So I said, no, 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 that's my third record. And I took it. I didn't even know what it was. I just took it. We go, so that's it. Put the record in the bag. You know, we're walking, keep walking. We go to the place, it's closed. However, there's a watch, night, night, um, night guy, white night watchman, day, day watchman, whatever. And we said, oh, we just came all the way down for sleeves and you're closed. Guy goes, hold on, how many you want? And he gives me, a, he gives us both a big handful, huge handful, and gives us some current records they just were pressing. And I remember one was uh, the, bon, the, I'm sorry, the numbers on Dory, uh, my pillow. My So, 
you know, I just remember that was a freebie that was brand new at the time. Yeah. Not on Bonneville, (laughs) on Dory. So anyway, um, so now we're walking back. And I don't want to walk back on 13th Street. That's what street we just did. So now we're going to walk back on 10th. There was a lot of stores on 10th Street. Now we get to 10th and Chestnut. What do I see? The record museum. I said, oh my God, there's that place that advertises the Blavit. We walk in and on the walls at the time were just lists, big lists written in nice calligraphy or whatever it is. Of all, It said, we want these records. Bring these in for credit. And it was a list of all these records. Now remember, I'm the guy who had at least a thousand records, but you know, um, you know, and I thought, I gotta have some of these things. So I start looking at the list when I did get in the store and I'm reading them and they're all like the harp tones and uh, you know, all these groups. I never heard of any of these records. I don't even know what these are. It's just like weird. It was a five crowns. It was, God only knows, but it was all swallows on King. And you know, you know, now I know now what it was, but at the time it didn't mean anything to me. And as I looked, the prices went up. In other words, they were all a dollar. Half the store, it just said they'll pay a buck for a record. They'll buy them for a buck. And then it goes to two dollars, three dollars, five dollars, ten dollars, and all the way at the end of the whole list, there was one that was twelve dollars. I look at the th- list. I said, "Oh my God, that's the record I just bought." That remember the three for a dollar one? Yeah. So I go in the bag. Yeah, that's it. Holy shit! So I go up. I make my way up to the front, and this this uh, and I. I so I get one of the owner. You know, somebody was back there working. I said, "Listen, I got that record." That's over there. He goes, and the guy says, you're full of shit. You don't have that record. I says, oh, yeah, what's this? And I pull it out of the bag. I put it in his face. It's brand new. So he goes, I'll give you $6 for it. Six six cash. And I didn't understand. What are you talking about? It says $12. So he says, no, no, no. It's 12 credit. I mean, what's that mean? He goes, 12 records that you want for a buck a piece, but not cash. If you want cash, I says, just give me the twelve dollars. I I'll, I'll be back. I just you know I I don't know what I want, but give me the. It says twelve bucks. You know I'm fat fighting with this guy because it's. And by the way, I would have taken six because you know what? It's still six more. And I paid thirty thirty three cents for it. I don't even know what the hell the record is. Doesn't mean <laughs> anything to me. I don't make that kind of money. This is like unbelievable. So anyway, I uh, I'm I'm fighting with this guy, and all of a sudden this guy kicks me on my side of the counter. And he goes, I look at the guy like, what's wrong with you? You just kicked me. And the guy says, he says to me, meet me outside. I'll give you 10 bucks for that record. So I said, you're on. So we go outside. The guy gives me $10. I, I give him the record. And, you know, now I call my mother up and I said, mom, you're never going to believe this. It's very close to my mom. I said, you'll never believe this. I just bought a record for 33 cents. And in an hour, I just sold it for $10. And she says, it's like I just did something amazing. And she says, how about this? The dinner has been on the table for a half hour. (laughs) Get your ass home right now. Forget that bullshit. And she didn't curse, but that's more or less what went down. So anyway, now. So we go, now I start going to the record museum. And I didn't like the people that worked there. They were nasty. The owners, they were very, very nasty. So we go back. Now I'm a regular at this record museum. You know, and, and I remember the first record that I ever got at the record museum, now that I'm into this Blavit shit, was a two-sided record. And it still remains probably my favorite record of all times because it's the record that 
turned my whole life upside down. It wasn't necessarily that record, but this is the beginning of my new life. A copy of I'm So Young slash Every Day of the Week by the students. Yay! On, on, golden, on golden goodies. Oh. Whoopee. Right? <laughs> but I didn't give a shit. Because guess what? Record. I love the record. Both right. sides. Both sides. <laughs> That's me. I'm off and running. You know, I get things like, please say you want me to school boys. I'm buying, I'm getting the records, you know, a dollar a piece, whatever. And so this kid that works here, he was, his name was Frank Koch. And uh, he starts talking to us and he's, you know, very friendly. He's, you know, and he tells us about this record shop in New York that is where all this stuff came out of. And, you know, and the other guy with me, Bob Campbell, was much more interested than I was. I was just, mesmerized but i really had my hands full just living down here with what i knew but i you know and it was all new to me and so but he wanted to see this store so one one saturday we get on a bus a greyhound bus and we went up this is 1962 probably around september 62 was a year for me because of blavitt and what what what's about to happen we go up to new york we're wandering around we don't know what we're doing i see these record shops everywhere you know tin pan alley and records 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 colony and all this uh and then we see these kids with record boxes and we go uh i guess he said it or i said it 
yo, do you guys know where Times Square Records is? And they said, that's where we're going, follow us. So we get there, and I, I, I think it was raining, I'm not sure. All I know is we finally get to this place, maybe, you know, three, four blocks away, and you can't get in. It's a little tiny, tiny, tiny store. And there was music playing out the, on the speaker outside, you know, tinny, crappy, but I mean, it was just in the same record. I had, we had, we must have stayed out there for 10 minutes waiting. Somebody had to come out before you could go in because it was really small and it was, you know, so this record kept playing over and over. It was the top record of a, you know, there was a, a record player that was, and it was scratching it. In other words, let's say a record player held 14 records. This was the 15th record and it was, the needle was coming right across the record and then it would start again. So, um, and they didn't even know what the hell they were doing because it was only playing outside. It wasn't playing inside. So when I did get in there, the first thing I said was, what's that record you're playing? And they didn't know what I was talking about. I said, go outside and listen. It's been playing for like probably a half hour. I want that record. So it was, this record is my first Times Square record and it was like getting hit in the head with a brick. It was... um, Dino and the Diplomats, I Can't Believe on Lori. Oh, man. Here we go. We are really you. I'm looking at the walls and it's all these records and everything. And so I'm like, holy shit, look at that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Look, $5, $3, $5 records. This is like, 
$10 for a record? $10? You know, and I'm looking and I'm like mesmerized with all this shit. And they're in sleeves. I mean, the sleeves are tacked up on the wall upside down where the, so they don't fall out. And, you know, it tells you the the price and the name of the record and all. And I never heard of any of these records. And in Mexico, but the Rocket Tones at $20, I think it was then. It was probably wow. before it was reissued. I don't even know. All I know was there were prices that i you know i don't think it was anything more than 20 25 bucks but that was like hundreds thousands to me so i got paper and i started writing them down and then i started going up there we went up every weekend or every other weekend by bus and it was like an adventure writing down everything and it was now we and we went around whatever free time i had i ran around looking for all these records that were on these lists and if i didn't like the records which i didn't a lot of them I took him to swim and he would give me a dollar, two dollars credit, whatever. I didn't give a shit because I didn't understand why anybody wanted that stuff. It was all bluesy stuff and it didn't fit what I liked. Yes. What? Val, what was. Hi, how are you? When'd you get here? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, like, oh, sorry to butt in on go your ahead, reverie. Go ahead, go ahead. My reverie, the larks, another killer. Hey, what, what was Slim like? I mean, could you describe yeah, him? Yeah, a real miserable bastard. Uh, <laughs> a real miserable bastard. But we love to work him over. I heard this record that I really wanted bad, and it was before it was reissued, and it was up on the wall for five bucks. It was Darla, My Darling by the Academics, and I, that, was, that was where my head was. That was the music I really was crazy about. I still love it because of what it means to me, but you know it wouldn't. But it was five dollars, and five dollars. I ain't never pay no five dollars for no record. It's stupid. say to slim okay i'm ready to buy it and i want that record and he goes 
And I would do it every time I came there. Bring it down, because it always was on the wall. And he goes, you're going to buy it or not? I said, yeah, I'm going to buy it. Gonna be, bring it down or I want to hear it. He'd play it, and I'd say, nah, maybe next time. You know, and, <laughs> you know <laughs> never knowing there would never be a next time. So then I started bringing up credit, and I worked for a record, uh, a, a place called Coast to Coast. I got a job for a dollar an hour. That's where I was, by the way, when Kennedy was killed. You know, I was working there a buck an hour. Uh, I loved the job, but my mother hated the fact that I was, I went to school to be a bookkeeper or whatever, and I'm working in a record dump. But, but, you know, and I'm finding records for myself and all that kind of stuff. And I would take anything that, you know, was a group record that I didn't like, I would buy them. They were 10 cents each working there. And then I would um, take them to New York and get, you know, credit for them if I didn't like them. And that was my game. I mean, we used to go in there and torture him, torture him, you know, torture him. You know, just all kinds of shit. I mean, it was a, he had a thing by the couch register, free record, free record with each purchase. So I would say, uh, okay, Slim, um, I need a free record. You know, give me this. And it would be, okay. I'd be back two seconds later. I'd be, all right, I need a free record. I just gave you one. No, 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 that was for something else. And I would say, yes, give me a record, but leave here. You know, and I, I'd be, that free record thing always got me. Give me the free records. <laughs> so um, I'd take them down the street to another place and sell them to them or trade them in. You know, it was always hustling and doing shit. And I, and then I would pick up records at for 10 cents and I would, they had a sound. And now I was listening to, I was hearing records that nobody even knew about that were great. Like, I remember I, I had a, a lock on this record. I found them at W.T. Grant's 10 cents a piece. Queen of the Angels by the Orients on Lori. Nobody knew that record at the time. I was buying them for a dime. I was selling them for a buck. Everybody was coming up to me. Hey, where's the kid with the Lori, with the, with the Orients? Um, and then I remember having a lot of copies of this uh, I Want to Be the Boy You Love by the Four Buddies on Imperial, which is Van McCoy.
that's a killer record. The the excitement of all this was that we were finding records, you know, and then it was turning our friends on to it or, you know, it was all about listen to this. Don't listen to the radio and listen to what you hear on the radio. It's all bullshit. Listen to these things that nobody ever heard of. And and there were people who really loved it. Blavitt kicked it off in Philadelphia, no question about it. But I found out later in life that the reason that Jerry Green and Jared were feeding him records they were oh. telling him what to play because they already knew they meant something in New York. So it was a no-brainer that, you know, you play Desiree and you bang the shit out of it every night, you're going to create something. And he did. And then he had his own thing. He played Byla. You know, Jerry Green told me they sold 100,000 copies of that record out of New York, out of uh, 10th Street. Of Byla by the Versatiles? That's what he told me. It could be 50, it could be 25. I don't know. All I know is that's what he told me. $100,000 That was seems you know, 100,000 records. Record. I mean, I don't believe it, but you know what? Maybe I heard it wrong, but I remember it was insane. But that was the national anthem here in Philadelphia as far as Blavitt went. Really? Byla. Wow. You know, meanwhile, on the pop stations, it was quarter three by U.S. Bonds. That was the national anthem in 1961 in Philadelphia. But you were going to New York, like what, every weekend? Every other weekend, whenever I could, because yeah. it was so exciting. And it was $5, Greyhound, $5 for a round-trip ticket. I see. Right? That's like, you know, he could have had five records, but, you know, he had to get there. So right. and then we sit in the back of the bus and look at our records all the way home, Bob and I. So um, anyway, and we had the list and we were running around looking for records and everybody was competing with each other. Look what I found. Look what I, you know, we would, I remember Jack. He got a job in records and 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 I remember he had he had a place called Handmill Trading Corporation where this place he bought all radio station dumps out and they were ten cents to pick. And I used to cut school and go there up on Broad Street in Philly, and they were had, I mean, we had no money. You got to remember this, 10 cents a piece, but we had no money. But we just had an appetite for this. I remember uh, for this guy, Frank Torpy, found 100 copies of Such a Fool as I by the George Torrance and the Dippers on Epic, which we, wow, this record's great, 10 cents. And we bought, you know, I think he bought 25 or 50, and I went back to get the rest of them. And they were gone because he's dumped them all to somebody real cheap. You know, they for five and tens and places like that. That's where they sold these records to. Ah. For, probably for a nickel or two cents or whatever. It was horrible what was going on. Jack, I remember, found Little Boy Blue, like 10, 15 copies on the hall by the Elegans. And that was a big Philly record because Blavitt played the shit out of that record. So that's how it all started, doing this kind of stuff. And the the the, the most the best part of all this was that we were creating something. We didn't know it. Because there were no books out, there were no, you know, there was no no price guides, no hand, no price guides, no handbooks of what you should collect. We knew There's no information, no information. And you know what? If I heard a guitar in the beginning, I threw it in the friggin' air. That was rockabilly, which you know later on that wasn't so smart, Val, or soul, which became something else later. But you know, at the time, it was just this and nothing else, and that's all I cared about. My mother m sort of made us move to Kentucky. She was. She her her father died and left all the kids. It was five kids, uh, all forty acres of land, and she was going to move there, build a house. We had no money. I don't know what they're going to build it with, but but you know, and we're gonna and, and we're gonna get me out of Philadelphia and those stupid records, and uh, get him a job, a legitimate job, and maybe meet somebody, meet a nice girl, and get married or whatever. And then uh, 
you know, my brother was getting in trouble with, you know, he was he was a follower and he was having problems and he was going to go, you know, get arrested if he didn't change his friends. So my mother had this thing where we're going to go to Kentucky. I didn't want to go to Kentucky. I'll go to Times Square every week. I, but I had a shit job, according to her, with a dollar an hour. So I ended up moving there against my will. And uh, I, I, all I did was I didn't, I wasn't social. I, I, I was the world's worst. I didn't talk to my parents. I said, you, you want to be here. This is what you created. I wrote to my friends. I, I, I bought records from times. I got their lists. They put out lists and I listened. I stayed in my room for six months. I got a job doing a bookkeeping, accounting, whatever. And I liked what I did. I mean, it was I liked who I worked with, but I didn't want to stay there. I wanted to save my money and get the hell out of there. So I finally had enough money to go back to Philly. I had no job, nothing. All I know was I had to go back because of the music. So it's the time. I'm, I'm telling my mother, uh, Mom, I got some bad news. I'm going to be leaving you. What? I, I, I don't want to be here. You got to be here. You don't have a job. You don't have nothing. I said, Mom. I can't do it. I got to get back to where I came from. I got to get back with the music. I can't, there, nothing's going on down here. This is a joke. By the way, every weekend I went all over, this, I went to Indiana, I went to Tennessee, I went all over looking for records. I found great records, especially at Randy's Record Shop in Gallatin, Tennessee, which is like 15 miles from Nashville. Gold mine. Everything was, I mean, it had been cherry picked by New Yorkers by mail, but there was plenty of shit in there that nobody knew about. So, and I was just like, oh my God, this is great. And, you know, making some money so I could spend a dollar a record. So anyway, so that's all I did was listen to records. And I told my mother I'm leaving. And she goes, how are you going to get there? I said, I'm taking my car. She goes, it's my car. I said, what are you talking about? Your car. It's my car. Nope. I own the car. You want to use that car? You have to buy it from me. Well, how much is it? And she said, it's another $200 or something. I don't know what the hell she said. So I had to work longer and save my money. And finally, on July 3rd, 1964, July 4th, I guess, I just know I got the foot. No, July 3rd, I packed up all my records, I guess some clothes, records. <laughs> I just remember the records. <laughs> maybe so, some clothes. <laughs> maybe, maybe some clothes. A family that I sort of knew one of the kids who was more friends with my brother than me said they would take me in until I got on my feet. You know, so that's where I went. Okay, this the Haynes family. Now I got a. I, so I woke. I, I grew up that night somewhat, and then I called my mom, and she was crying, and she goes, "Are you okay?" And I said, "She goes, do you have your money?" I probably had a hundred dollars to my name, and she said, and I reached back for my wallet, and it's gone. So I said, "Yeah, I got it," but I, I didn't want to tell her I didn't. But I, I it turns out I thought I lost it, but it, I left it at home. Um. Anyway, now I got to get a job. So I put my name in at Scott Paper, which was a big uh, employer at the time, to be an, a bookkeeper, okay? They ain't got to hire me. I got no college education. I went to business school. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even like who I am. I don't like nothing about it. All I like is records. But um, so I'm waiting for the phone. I'm not drawing unemployment, unemployment, $50 a week. So, you know, that's keeping me alive somewhat. Now, one Saturday, very important. Bing, bing, bing. Second big thing that happened to me. Okay. One Saturday, this friend of mine, Frank Torpy, who we collected records with, calls me up and he said, Val, I know a store that's got Chance Records. And I said, now Chance was a label which I wasn't even familiar with. He's one of the guys I took to, to Times Square. And so um, 
We all knew about Chance because we heard everybody talking about Chance. That's all it was. We didn't even know. It was like a mystery label. But they all talked about And even Chime Square Records, if you look at the uh, the label design, it was taken right from Chance Records. You know, once they got past their initial two or three records, two records actually. So um, anyway, um, so he says to me, I got this place. I said, Torp, I've been to every record shop, every radio repair place in the city, there ain't every black area, North Phillies, everywhere, Chester, Camden, wherever black people are, because that's where the records were. That, I've been there. We, there's no place I haven't seen. So this other friend of mine was there, and I was probably playing him records, and he says, uh, he goes, do you want to go or not? And I said, uh, who's driving? He goes, I'll drive. So I said, all right, I guess I'll go. I guess I'll go? Guess what? If I didn't go there that day, I wouldn't be sitting here on the microphone with you right now. Really? Here's Here's what happened. So I go with my friend who knew a tiny bit about records. His name's Frank Nerney. And Torp, who knew what I knew. We were always on the quest of finding something interesting. We walk into this record shop. It's called Empire Records at 52nd and Chestnut in West Philadelphia. Black area. Walk in. And I know as soon as I saw this record shop, I've been in it. So I don't even want to waste my time. It's just like stupid. Why did I do this? So... There were three rows of records on the counter, you know, and it was all major shit like Capitol, Decca, MGM, RCA, all crap that was, you know, the stuff that, you know, Perry Como and Tony Martin and, you know, Guy Lombardo and all that horse shit. So I didn't even bother looking, but my friend, and it was all grouped by label. They just wanted to dump the shit. And so um, my friend Frank, who knew a little bit, starts showing off and he goes, yo Val, what's worth money on Decca? And I go, like you're gonna find it in there? Come on. So uh, I go, he goes, just tell me some. I said, all right, the mellow tones on Decca, the high fives on Decca, the da ba 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 and I'm naming all the groups because of, you know, what I knew from writing the shit down. You know. Tangiers. Oh, there you go, Tangiers. (laughs) Anyway. So I'm just saying this stuff, not trying to show up, just telling him, even though I'm wasting my time. And this lady behind the counter comes over to me, a white woman, and she says to me, whoa, where the hell did you come from? And I go, what do you mean? And she goes, how do you know all that? I said, well, I like old records, but, you know, it doesn't really mean too much because nobody gives a shit. Or I didn't curse, but, you know, I just said, you know, what I'm saying doesn't mean anything in the real world. So she says, well, do you need a job? And I said, oh, definitely. <laughs> you know, you know, she says, well, I don't need you, which was a lie, which I found out later. But at the time, she says, the guy I buy my records from. He needs a driver. Do you own a car? I said, yeah, I have a car. Okay, why don't you call this number? Call this number tonight or tomorrow, whenever, and and tell them that I sent you. My name is Evelyn. So I I write the number down, and that night I get home, and I call up this number, and I get this old, very, 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 very old Jewish guy on the phone who um, he sounds like he's about to go. And he says, hello. And I said, yeah. I said, is Norman there? And I, Norman was the name I was supposed to ask for. And, and the guy, I don't understand him, but he really, you know, I just wanted to call 911 and, you know, have somebody go over and pick up the body. The guy, <laughs> so he goes, you'll come, you'll come tomorrow. 
you know, at two o'clock and you know, whatever, you'll come to this address and all this stuff. And it's like, this ain't going nowhere. So the next day I drive over to the Overbrook Park and I find a house. It's in a duplex apartment. He's on the second floor. I go into, uh, I go up and knock on the door and this old Jewish guy answers the door and, you know, I go, you know, this guy is a hundred. And, uh, you know, he says, you'll come in, you, you, you want something to drink, very nice man. And so you want coffee, you want a bagel, whatever. And so um, all of a sudden, you know, I'll be right there, right here. And so here, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, the door opens, and here comes this guy like in his pajamas, looks like Bozo the Clown. What? He's on the phone with a cord longer than, you know, it's got to be like 500 feet long. And he's talking to somebody, and hey, baby, ba 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 ba, you know, baby, baby, you know, all this kind of shit. And he goes, "I'll be right with you," you know, ba 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 ba. This is the guy, okay, Norman Cooper. That was his father that was doing the talking, and you know, that answered the phone. So he gets off the phone and he says, "How you doing?" And I said, "I'm good." What you know? So he's, "What's your name?" I guess I said, "Val." I said, "He goes, all right, listen." You have a car, right? And I said, yeah. I said, let me explain to you. Let me just tell you something. And I knew about the records. I knew about the pop music at the time. And this is, he sells records. So I got it. I know something. So here's what I said to him. I said, here, let me just give you, let me tell you something about music. I, I said, here's what I know. I know a lot about this stuff because I collect records. And, uh, you know, I said, here's the deal. The Shirelles are on Scepter. These were, these were who was selling at the time. This is 1964. The Supremes or on Motown. And I'm naming the acts that I hear on the radio and I'm naming the labels because I figure, you know what? Hey, I know the labels. So he says, I don't give a shit about that. It doesn't mean anything. You got a car? I says, yeah, I got a car. You know where the airport is? I says, no, but I'll find it. He goes, all right, well, tomorrow, come over here. This is Sunday. Come over here tomorrow at, at nine o'clock and I'll take you and I'll show you what you have to do, okay? You know, you got a job. So I go home that night, and I call my mother up, and I said, Mom, you'll never believe it. I got a job. She goes, oh, my God, it's great. What are you doing? I said, records. Oh, not those friggin' records. She didn't curse. <laughs> not the records again. What the hell is wrong with you? Yeah.
Attention, party crashers. Go to the Crashing the Party website at crashingtheparty.co for information about part two of this exciting interview with our hero, Val Shively, only on the Crashing the Party radio show.